welcome to Just Folks Conversations with Emma, a space, a comfortable space where people come to share. You are going to hear personal stories of virtues, victories, challenges, setbacks, accomplishments, observations, and teachable moments, all rooted in spiritual principles. I'm Emma. Come on in. I've been waiting for you. Hi, folks, and welcome. Welcome to Just Folks Conversations with Emma. Oh, boy, do I have a treat for you today. This is, you're going to be so glad that you tuned in. Um, you know, we are based in, in Maryland. And if you know anything about the weather in Maryland, you know that uh, winter uh, can be kind of dismal here. And today is no exception. We're having a overcast, cloudy day, and it's cold and drizzly. And my guest, Miss Francesca Knock, is in the sunshine state. She's in Florida. So she has so graciously agreed to share with us some sunshine. So hi, Francesca. How are you? Good morning, everyone. How are you? Oh, well, we're all fine. Can you um, kind of give us a little bit of a tour while we're getting our, our, our sunshine through you? Briefly, uh, today happens to be a sunny day. Um, behind me, there are clear skies, but in front of me, there are huge clouds that are not, um, that are slowly coming through. Background, this is an area in Surfside that runs into Normandy, um, which is an area that has the intercoastal area. So we're not against the ocean, but we're somewhere between the ocean and the mainland. So there are people here with um, their boats docked and it is a residential area. Um, it doesn't have the typical pastel colored Miami buildings. A lot of the buildings here are either white or gray or this pale, pale yellow in this area. Um, and it's just very low key. So that's kind of where we are. I'm sitting underneath this palm tree and most of the palm trees in Florida are not indigenous. They're actually imported from other countries, most of which are Middle Eastern countries. Mm, that's where we are right now. Yeah. Well, so if well, you see people you. crossing behind me and do this, they're walking their dogs or they're doing their morning walk. And it's very hot here today. It's already oh, it's hot. Oh, oh yeah. I'm, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm jealous, uh, but I'm also very appreciative of that lovely little tour. We got a little glimpse of the sun and uh, feels nice and warm and just kind of gives us some hope for the future because it is March and spring will be showing up soon. We hope that our true. fingers crossed. Very true. And you'll hear birds behind me too. There's certain, uh, they have their own schedule that they do when they're migrating about the city. And since we're close to the ocean, you'll hear them in the background as well sometimes. Oh. Okay. Well, thank you. Now, this, folks, has been a demonstration of why I wanted you to meet Francesca. She is a visual performing artist, and um, we met through my husband. We were, we're all friends um, when she was here in the, the Maryland area, and for the last, I guess, almost 10 years, uh, yep. you've been residing in Florida. And yeah, since 2011. Yeah, so some of us are a little jealous about that, but uh, 
I know that you've been having some very interesting and wonderful experiences. Would you like to share a little bit about your background and who you are and, and really how you got to, to Florida? Well, Florida is, um, the reason I came here was really to support a friend um, who needed someone to come down here for emotional support. And that is what led me here. It was a good time in my life to make a break, to make up some changes. And while I considered moving to uh, Brooklyn, I decided I would uh, move somewhere that was least like the industrial Northeast for a little bit and try something different. And Miami had always been on my radar for that. And I came here. So it's been very challenging. It's been very, um, it's probably not what you expected, especially if you grew up knowing the Miami of the 70s and the 80s. Um, it's not that Miami anymore. It's very, very different. Um, much more focused on new money and attracting investors of that nature. And uh, places before were like the buildings I showed you earlier, most of the buildings were about that height, maybe a little taller, you know, years before. Now there are skyscrapers that you wouldn't believe. And they all seem to be competing with each other for the tallest building on Collins Avenue. Um, but the architecture here is one of the strengths of Miami, Art Deco, um, modern architecture as well. And I think that that's one of the things that I do appreciate about here in addition to the nature. Well, um, you have seen these changes develop during the time that you've been in Miami. How has yeah. that impacted you? Well, it makes for less of an experience of connection, I think. Um, I can't speak for what other cities have gone through in the last 10 years, obviously. I have been home a couple of times to back up to Maryland and I can see the changes that have happened. Here, I think because it's, 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 it's a little different from being in DC or New York or Philly or Chicago even, where it's a little bit more, um, people of different ethnicities are definitely mixing on a daily basis. Here, if you don't want to leave the comfort of your own culture, you don't have to because the pockets of, um, whether it be for cuisine, whether it be for worship, whether it be for community, there are definitely a lot of pockets here where you can just be here and enjoy the surroundings without intermingling if you don't want to. So that's kind of been, for me, being a social person and being a person who likes people, that's been a big challenge for me. So how do you deal with that? What do you do? I'm sorry? What do you do to um, over, overcome that so you can make well, yourself comfortable? I used to make every effort to get in the door with people. Um, I no longer do that. I decided that I would now shift to a solo adventure life here. Um, and the pandemic actually kind of has made that easier so to speak, when looking for things like that. Um, as opposed to before, I mean, it's a very, this is the place where people go out to party and they, and they go to clubs and they're constantly out at cafes and places to eat that are um, people watching inspired. But um, the pandemic has made it easier actually to shift for those of us who have not been embraced here. Hmm. Can you be a little more, <clears throat> excuse me, can you be a little more specific about what that 
look for? Yeah. Um, well, if you are not of a particular group, like I am a Black American with Native American ancestry and European ancestry in addition to African ancestry. So my heritage here um, gives me an American heritage. And if I'm in a place where people first associate themselves with being Lithuanian or being Haitian or being Jamaican, and they already have that established as their social sphere, so to speak, um, it's, it's much more difficult to be, to, to communicate or to connect with people because they are looking for those common denominators. Um, and then you add on to that, I am from the North, so that's a whole nother story. Um, but when it comes to, after getting used to that, um, kind of whether it's intentional or unintentional exclusion, it is. Uh, it made me more proactive to find things to still do to enjoy myself here, because you, you know, you still have to live your life. And although open to communication and open to meeting people, if it, you know, you can only control what you can control. And what I could control was what is that, what am I going to do to enjoy myself here? So I tried to find um, places that that allowed me to do that. Okay, and what kinds of activities do you involve yourself with? Um, before, I would definitely go to different restaurants. Um, different places have different uh, environments for, I found places that were more conducive for meeting people briefly because I realized that long-term connections were not necessarily always the goal. Sometimes just having a nice conversation with someone um, over a nice cocktail during that happy hour at some unique place was good. Um, also going for walks in different kinds of parks. Uh, the beach, of course. Uh, I liked to go there for sunrise and sunset. Uh, there are people sometimes doing Tai Chi or just meditating in different places. There's a Spanish monastery here that I, that's on my list to go to for the spring um, that sometimes has been closed because of, because of the pandemic but they have opened certain hours now and it's somewhere that I have not been, but other people have said it's a wonderful place to try and just be and, and relax there. So that's on my list. Um, and there are marinas here to go to, to just watch people who are fishing and the boats go out. So there's a Japanese garden that's down by the Perez Museum that's a little further downtown, things like that. Okay, so you have, uh... A really a wide variety of activities to choose from. And so it doesn't sound like you could get bored really in Miami if you just are thoughtful about what you do. I'm still uh, developing for this last time because I think I might move after this year to be honest with you. Um, I think it's, I think you have to constantly look though. It's not as easy as like having the city paper to open up. You don't have that here. Um, there is a city paper, but it's not the same. It doesn't have the same um, pace that I think people from up north are used to from finding out information and going to events. Some some places have uh, some places have band shells or areas where they do have local performances happening. But COVID has made that very different, and dealing with COVID here. While it seems it might be, it is a little easier as far as getting out doors. You're also dealing with, because people are outdoors, they're not sometimes taking the precautions they should be taking. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, and so I noticed that today you are not wearing a mask, but you feel I comfortable. Was mm -hmm. I was wearing a mask until oh, I sat okay. down. Yeah, oh, okay. as, when we prepared, um, I have two actually that I wear all the time. I've been wearing two since last May because I noticed that the nurses and doctors where I was going for some of my specialist appointments, they were wearing two. So I started wearing two. Mm -hmm. um, and I only took it off because in this area here, there's no one who can get to me within six feet. If they come on this side, the gentleman who was walking his dog earlier was far off by that far hedge over there. Mm -hmm. And nobody's around me. Um, okay. when I walked here and I did get looks. I got looks from different types of people, different ages, different ethnic groups. As I was walking, they did not have on their mask. They were not wearing a mask. Um, and I don't feel that often because I'm normally sheltering, you know, mm -hmm. and or I'm in my own building where it's a small building. There's only like 36 of us in that building tops. Uh, okay. So it's, it's kind of I feel very vulnerable when I come out. Very much so. So this pandemic has really been. Uh, it's really had an impact on your life. Um, it's really yes. caused you to really step back from things that you would have had access to. Yes. And that's interesting because, you know, from those of us who get to see Florida from afar, mm -hmm. um, you know, in Maryland, we, we went on lockdown basically uh, last uh, a year ago in March. Right. This is 2021. So in 2020, we went on lockdown. The state yes. pretty much shut down. Mm -hmm. um, and even in Baltimore, uh, we still have some uh, restrictions in place that the state uh, is not practicing. But Florida seems like no holds barred. Um, it's a big state. It's bigger than what people think because it does look little when we're all in school and coloring it in on the map. But it's actually quite large because it's very flat and spread out. A lot of counties here. And while I have found that South Florida seems to have been a little bit better about keeping up to protocol when it comes to precautionary measures. Um, friends who live in other areas have told me that where they have lived, where they live, it's been a little different. I think Tampa and Jacksonville, the cities mainly, probably kept up a little bit better, it seems, with keeping with the rest of the country when it came to strict standards. Uh, places in between, I, I don't know. But here, it was hard to tell because I was not outside and people would say to me, well, what's going on? How are people doing out there? And I would say, I have no idea because I don't go outside. I, I stay in the yard and I stay inside. Um, one place, one, one thing I did in March of last year is I did go to the beach, which I knew would be for the last time for a while in my head, I just felt that. And I was like, you should go now. And I went for sunrise. And after that, I walked around my neighborhood. Um, nothing was open yet. Everything was still closed, but I wanted to see what the signage was at that time. And it was probably this week or last week this time of last year. And I remember thinking, huh, it looks like a lot of people are actually going to follow through. There was a lot of, you know, that if you don't have a mask on, I'm sure you should use the service. That's it. Um, in three languages, normally the signage was because okay, it's getting a, a little windy. Um and we're having some difficulty picking up your, your voice. Oh, no, okay. Okay. Yeah, Can I can't. Just, yeah, it's, you know, I guess it's just because it's by the water, maybe. Um, okay. And it doesn't seem too bad, right? I mean, it's visibly, like I can see the breeze, but it's not bad. Okay, I just um, wanted to make sure we get to hear, you know. Okay, yeah, of course. 
Um, just let me know if you can again. Did you hear any of what I just said? Uh, a bit uh, about oh. the signage, so he could go back. Yeah, the signage. So the signage was on almost every single um, establishment, and it was very clear: no shirt, no shoes, no mask, no service. Um, and it was normally in the three languages that are prevalent here, which seem to be Spanish, English, and Portuguese. And uh, I felt that and even some stores even had said outside of them that they had the, the blue spots on the floor. So that way they weren't even allowing you inside of the establishment. They you would have to wait to have someone come and get you from outside. So if I were someone who was not with the same medical conditions that I have, um, I would have felt very comfortable taking the precautionary measures and still going about my daily life if, if that had been me at that time. So but that does make a difference. <laughs> and it, it clearly has made a difference for you. So, but initially you did feel that uh, at the beginning, um, people were taking it seriously uh, regardless of what the national leadership was saying. Yes, um, I did. I feel like people here definitely were taking it seriously um, at that time at that time and i think it was a little ambiguous at first for some because i've encountered so many people who didn't know they didn't meet anybody who had it they didn't know anybody who was positive they they didn't know they have never they didn't know anyone who had died from it and so for them it was this like ambiguous virus that nobody that they that they couldn't relate to um and i was having the opposite experience i had friends who were calling me almost every month there would be somebody else you know even to last week friends calling and saying, hey, I'm, I'm positive, or I'm going to the hospital, or I've been in the hospital, or, you know, I'm going home now. Um, and some friends who had it for two days, they felt and then were fine. Hmm. So it's and been a little varied. But I think here people were still going to they were still boating, they were still golfing, they were still going to the beach. I saw their pictures online, their videos. They were still living their lives. So it, it all came down to personal judgment, basically. Yes. Yeah, and your personal health. I mean, the, we have a lot of families here who are intergenerational in the homes. So you have people who are, you know, of different age groups in one household. So depending on how that household takes, you know, decides they're going to, to endure this period is what... Um, some friends have had to experience. My friends here who are teachers have had that as a challenge because they have someone who lives with their grandmother or someone who lives with their grandfather or both in their house. And they've had to be very careful when they're out with the, you know, the children, um, no matter what age they are. And if the parents in the home are not taking it seriously, um, you know, it's a, it's a balancing act for many of them. And the teachers, some of the friends who are teachers have had to send their students back home because the kids are honest enough to say, I shouldn't be here right now. My goodness, that yeah. is, um, that, I'm sure that really, everywhere. <laughs> and it's interesting. And I, I really personalized that because I'm, I'm a retired educator and I spent almost 40 years, 38 to be exact in Baltimore City public schools. Yes, wow. And, uh, I, I'm just really grateful that that's not a decision that I have to make. Um, right. But understanding that, you know, the children are going to show up in yes. school for various reasons. Mm -hmm. the family may feel that that's the only option available to them. 
right uh, and at the same time most people in the country still have not been vaccinated so this is uh, true so how is how is that impacting you are are you what is your intention about you know vaccination oh i'm on the high risk list for my neurologist i have a neurological disease as well as a rheumatoid disease and so the neurologist has me on the high list um group the rheumatologist office i don't think that's their like in their realm of they feel is that they're responsible for that in any way so i'm really grateful that the neurologist um, office took it upon themselves to do that and i've been on the list Unfortunately, uh, they have run out of all the first doses and they only have the second doses left. So I'm also on two other lists in addition to that. It's a waiting game. And um, if I were, again, if I were someone who could just walk in somewhere and have it, you know, just a shot, it would be different. But that is not the case. I'm on some very um, heavy medication and definitely need to make sure I'm somewhere where there is medical attention given after mm -hmm. the shot for observation. So, right. Yeah. And you're also in a state that has a lot of seniors. I mean, that's one of the draws. And it, it appears from what I'm understanding that um, they are taking priority over the rest of the population. Yes, and that would be that. That's normal. They are the ones who seem to be the most statistically the most affected um, when it comes to fatally being affected by this this disease and this virus. And it makes sense to me that they would be. It's just that yes, we are over. Like the numbers here are astronomical for elders first, and it should be expected. Um, I am a little bit surprised at how it's been disseminated and handled. I did expect a little bit more organization from it since we knew it was coming. And hopefully, you know, more people will be able to have it that wish to have it before that time. Well, we are keeping our fingers crossed for you that sooner as opposed to later that the supplies will come through and you'll yes. be able to, to get your vaccination. Yes, well, thank you. I have been vaccinated. Uh, I'm a senior, so uh, mm -hmm. I qualify. And okay. uh, it, uh, and I got both, the, both doses. Um, oh. And in my small family circle, we have had actually all three. We've had mm. Johnson and Johnson. We've had Pfizer and Moderna. So okay. uh, that's you know, if if anyone needs you know personal testimony, we can say that you know we've all experienced that, and um, oh. I'd say fairly minimal side effects. I'm the only person so far who's had a, an effect, and it was temporary yeah. and not unexpected. Well, um, I did want to talk a little bit about your background as a visual performing artist. Um, what, what has that been like for you? You know, how did you come to that understanding and then share what, what that looks like so people will know? Um, well, very briefly, it's just been something that's been part of my life, all of my life. Um, the visual performing arts. Um, for music, it was Children's Course of Maryland, then called the Children's Course of Baltimore. And I went to Peabody for theory and for piano um, for many years. And then participated, of course, in dance since I was three and a half. And just kept doing that my entire life. The writing and photography, the photography I did it, I studied at MICA 
and Micah is the Maryland Institute College of Art. Yes. And for um, the visual, other visual arts, it's just my own doing because that was kind of the thing that I did for myself. Theater, musical theater, all of that, um, local theater groups such as Arena Players, different, you know, different groups throughout the years. And then writing, of course, as well. Um, I did want to talk about, go back to the chronic illness and living here um, and how to maneuver with that here, which is, there are things that I don't think a lot of people realize or think about, um, especially in this kind of environment. For instance, we don't have a subway system here. Um, the system that's quote unquote, the subway system is not, is more like a something like a tram, so to speak. So it's a closed environment. There are trolleys here. There are buses here. Cabs, oh, lift here. Let me ask you, how do you distinguish a trolley from another? If you think of literally an early 1900 trolley, but modernized with gas and a steering wheel that's modern. I mean, it's wood inside brass. It's just modern. It's just more modern. It's it seats probably comfortably 30 people on it. Um, maybe fewer if they aren't. Some may stand up, some may not. But it's normally, you know, intended for short jaunts. It only goes to certain areas here. And then they connect with one another in a central area. So you can, you know, you can transfer just like you would a bus or you can take an express one all the way down to South Beach. Um, like, so it's like that. And it's mostly only on this side. It's not, um, it's one, like only two maybe on the mainland. Most of them though are here on the aisle, which is where we are. So all of those kind of normal things that you would think um, that one can just get on, but all of that changed here. You know, the buses would only let you on at the back door. They were only letting on certain amounts of people. You could not sit in certain seats. Um, and I had stopped right before, this was right before the lockdown. So I haven't been on one since March of, early March of last year, maybe even late February, to be honest. Um, the library, all sorts of things that you can, that you, you know, the, the, the picnic benches. There are areas here where you think you can go outside, but they had closed off because people were not using good judgment. So they just went, nope. There's one a place that I passed to get here. Um, a basketball and volleyball court that hasn't been open for, I don't know how long now. I don't know what happened, but they were open with a few people I could see once in a while, but apparently someone has abused it and they've closed it down for a while. So even though it's open here, unless you have like, you know, these fine folks, their own private uh, getaway, it's, you have to be very methodical about your activities. Um, bike riding is something that you can do here. Um, I do my bike, unfortunately, is out of commission right now, but bike riding, rollerblading at strategic hours is probably the best way to, to get some outdoor time, even walking, same thing. You know, you have to be very strategic about it. Um, but I don't know, also we, for grocery shopping, I haven't been in a store since last March. I use the delivery service. Um, even because when I went to pick up medicine one time outside for the outside service with a car, a friend had um, 
they we do everything very like I sit way in the back of the truck. He sits, he's obviously driving the truck. We both have on our mask, we're driving, and they come out to give you your medication. You don't have to even go inside, which is really generous of them. Um, but it's it's great for those of us who are, you know, extra compromised right now. And until there is a way to and there won't be a way for us to all know who's been vaccinated or who hasn't. There's no way we're going to know by looking at anybody. So you still have to take precautionary measures, but it will give, it does give a certain sense of that others are caring and they are making efforts to keep other people safe, which means a lot. And that's an interesting message, you know, that, that people do care for each other. I, I don't see that as a, um, an element of our national conversation to, perhaps to a large enough extent. Mm -hmm. It's so much more political. Mm -hmm. um, it has been. It has been, but sadly, yeah. And it's been, um, and I've had some, some very nasty incidents with other people who don't agree with precautionary measures, um, stu like stunned and unexpected um, moments, real life moments. Can you give an example of one of those? Oh, sure. Um, about a month ago, about a month ago, I was waiting outside the hospital for my appointment because the waiting room was pretty full. We've got wind again. Okay. Um, I was waiting outside for the appointment. I'll get, I'm going to make this a little closer. Sorry for the close-up. But waiting outside for my appointment and a gentleman walked by me very close. And I was sitting far away from everybody. There was no one who was around me. I could have taken off my mask at that time, but I did not because people would pass here and there to get to their cars or to get to, you know, either hospital entrance or entranceway. But I was pretty far from other people. I selected that bench for a reason. And it was a gorgeous day. We'd had a lot of rainy, cool days. So this was a nice, warm day. And I wasn't looking up. I was listening to some music, very peaceful, and noticed some feet getting closer to me. And this gentleman turned toward me and he coughed at me um, several times, no mask. And I was so stunned and appalled and turned and looked at him and immediately stood up. And as he backed away, moved away from me, he then turned and glared at me like challenging. And I looked around for an officer. There were none around, no security officers. I did see some valet, but they were busy with patients. And I reached for my phone because I was going to take a picture and show an officer when I found one. And he must have seen me, you know, reach for my purse and skedaddled quickly in, either into a car or further away. And it was very uncalled to, for. Someone, yeah, to know that someone had done that on purpose, knowing, mm. knowing what this leads to. I couldn't yeah. believe it. I couldn't believe it. And I was, as a human being, I was, I was hurt. As a human being, I was hurt by that moment. Well, it's a very aggressive act for anyone to take. It is. It I mean, is. And then I had you. to debate, yeah. And I had to debate, when I, do I go into the hospital now? Do I, if he's positive, do I dare even, you know? And I did go in, I took the stairwell, so I didn't come in contact with anybody. Um, I was, I'm always let in right away once I get um, the thermometer testing into the room and I told the nurse right away, I said, I want you to know this before you start with me because I don't know if you need to send me out or not, but I need mm -hmm. you to know this. 
And she, you know, talked to me about it and she felt comfortable and then told the doctors and they all felt comfortable about it. So, cause I, I didn't take off my mask. I had on the two masks that day. So that mm-hmm. was something that where I ended up protecting myself by doing that. Well, you just have to be on guard for the most unpredictable uh, and unnecessary responses from people. Yeah. You feel that they have to have something to say about your life. You do. It's not a good way. You're minding your own business. Right. And it causes, it creates, and this is when we get into the mental health aspect of it, where it causes more anxiety than what people should be dealing with. You know, just walking around should not be causing people anxiety that someone's going to berate them for trying to protect their own health. That's not healthy. Um, It's not healthy for people to feel they can't interact with people because the other people um, are not going to take precautionary measures. You know, I've been invited to certain events, but was said, oh, well, if you want to wear the mask, sure, but nobody else is going to. I can't come, (laughs) sorry, you know, uh, thanks for inviting me. And there are things though that people can do for people who are sheltering. Um, You can meet with them. You just have to be at a great distance. You know, you can meet with them. You just have to bring your mask. You have to be prepared for an alternative to what you're used to. Um, There have been a few friends who made that effort and said, I will meet you for coffee. I was on one part of the stairwell outside. They're on another part or we're on a rooftop somewhere, rooftop um, area where they can sit and be and I can be and we're not close to one another and they're cognizant enough to know that if they have been around a lot of people they'll say no I don't feel comfortable meeting up with you this time I was around too many people last week you know let's reschedule it for another time and they've done that so the people who really want to still going back to connection even will still mm-hmm. connect to you during this time if they want to well uh, if you're thoughtful it seems that there you know there are ways there are enough supports um, that you can still manage to stay connected with people. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I agree. Well, um, I'm still interested in hearing a bit about your creative side, though, um, um, and how yeah. that may have overall, you know, because this is why you, one of the things I think you, in our previous conversation, had mentioned that you, you have all of this experience with particularly your, your main love, which is dance. Um, so talk a little bit about um, what you Yeah, it's a little hard to talk about that right now, to be honest with you. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it's uh, something that hasn't been um, in the forefront right now, as you will know. Okay. Um, uh-huh. So it's kind of difficult to like go there right now with that, okay. but um, I'd be happy to talk about it you know, at another time. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. But you also have other talents and things that you have been it's part of your creative identity. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I, um, it's a little harder to do that, I think, in places that are, like I said, things change in different places. For instance, you know, being a, a writer at a certain time frame in D.C., is different from being one now. Being a dancer in New York is different from than it was, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Because um, the arts change as well, the, you know, things change. And depending on where you are, like this is a, now a very contemporary city. It's not, like I said, this is not the magic city of the 70s and the 80s. Um, 
this is definitely now a more modern city that does modern things. And I found it, it was interesting when I first went to say something, it's just very briefly, like if I said to someone, oh yes, I used to dance professionally. They're asking me which club, as opposed to for which company or which choreographer, you know. Um, it was assumed it was stripping <laughs> and or burlesque and not ballet or modern dance. So there comes that kind of like, oh, okay. And then a point where they assume it's hip hop or and not ballet or modern. So you're dealing just with a different time frame in a different way and a different knowledge set from people that you encounter now, I think. That makes it more difficult for artists, no matter what genre you're in. I think it's very different for a lot of people, even yes, friends who are yes. professional musicians. Yeah. So that accounts for all of the virtual performances, um, you know, the online presentations that yes. we're seeing as a society. Yes. We make that adjustment. So. Yeah, I think which is a good thing. You know, it's a good thing to keep it going. It has to keep going somehow. And until statistics change, it makes it a challenge. It does, but the, the arts are so important to the, I, I think the overall well-being and mindset and mental health of uh, people in general. So, you know, creating those alternative venues, it's important. I agree, I agree with you. Well, you have shared quite a bit today. Um, very informative and very sensitive. Um, I, I want to thank you for, for doing this. Um, My and pleasure. Giving us, and giving us some sunshine. Uh, we really appreciate that because we can use it. Yeah, true. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Um, I did want to mention my father. That's all yes. right. Absolutely. So in keeping with that, you know, my father died of COVID a couple weeks ago and um, it was very, a very, after having some other health issues, um, this was very, it was a very quick, sudden exiting of this realm and, but heartbreaking to watch because it did ravage through his body. Like I take it very seriously. I always did take this very seriously. I wasn't one of the people like all of a sudden now, you know, oh my goodness, now that this has happened in our family, I feel differently. I've always felt very serious about this. Um, and, then, and then to watch, uh, where'd it go? And then, sorry, and then to watch um, what happens to someone is, is, was absolutely heart-wrenching. And then also to know that um, you can't be with them. You are in FaceTime, you know, as they are exiting and even though there are certain precautionary measures that people could take to be closer when he was in ICU, once um, hospice is involved and once that time frame began to tick down to watch how it affects one's cognitive abilities, to watch how it affects your physical abilities, to watch how it just ravaged through, I think is something that um, people need to be aware of. And to know that someone can fight through, and I think this is very difficult for the doctors and nurses to see other people who are fighting through cancer, heart attacks, surviving all sorts of other illnesses. Um, and then to have this virus come in and that's what does it is, is quite 
quite important for everyone to really understand and not to do everything they can to avoid having any other families experience what we experienced. Um, and it comes to the, the thereafter as well. You know, people are being, you can't donate them now to science for the better good for study. You cannot um, have them being taken care of at certain funeral homes who don't deal with COVID patients. Um, you cannot have a memorial service. You cannot, you can do it, but you can do it online or you can do it with only five people there. Like it's, it's not, it affects people in more ways, I think than they are seeing on TV and on YouTube videos. There are some that are very, very good and articulating exactly what goes on and giving people a real understanding of this. But you can't wear the, a shirt that says that all the time. You can't wear shirts that say, my father died of COVID. <laughs> this is why I take it so seriously. Um, you can't wear a sign that says, I'm on chemotherapy. This is why I take it so seriously, like every single day it's draining and it's unfair mentally and emotionally unfair. So we're trying right now to figure out um, ways to make his life and his passing from this virus mean something and to help other people. So that is what my focus is now for this spring is finding ways of making that happen. Um, and I, I'm not sure yet exactly how that's going to work. I'm working on several different ideas, but for right now, it's you know the first step. Um, gathering the information, really going back. I go back through my phone and I'm looking at the, the text messages that I sent friends and I'm looking at what I wrote down um, because I forgot even in the things, and I'm telling you this to say like things that happen so fast, which is in articulating it to one friend, um, all of a sudden the next day I'm talking to somebody and something, there's another symptom that has manifested. You know, there's another condition that has now occurred. Now he's using X amount of oxygen. Now he's at this point of confusion. Now, you know, um, the feeding tube has come out. Like there's every day it was something else happening. And you're just like, you're watching this and you're going, not only is this one human being, the person you love who this is happening to, thousands, thousands of people and nurses and doctors are having to see this and, and, and anyone else, the orderlies, anyone else who's working in the hospital right now, sees this, see this day day after day after day for over a year now and it and it's it, it astounds me you know it astounds me that um there are people who don't think it's real that's what the one doctor in hospice said to me. He, says, he says one of my biggest issues is people still think it's a hoax even when they're here in hospice the the people who actually have the virus have it and think it's are under the impression that it's a hoax. Yeah, so he, so he, what he said to me was like, like he's trying to treat people and give them what they need. And the nurses are trying to say, we have to do this. No, 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 I don't need that. I don't have that. Um, he said that was a problem. That was one of the largest problems he saw. And the other problem he said was that people were not taking it seriously. They were not taking proper precautionary measures and they are getting fed up and they're getting tired um, of it, of that happening. So, mm -hmm. That being said, you know, again, I was I was in awe of the facilitator who does FaceTiming with families um, because I can't imagine having to go in every day for multiple families. Everyone's saying goodbyes. Everyone is, you know, having emotional moments there. Um, and for having to 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 know that it's because of this one one thing 
I mean, what about the other illnesses that they also, there are other terminal illnesses that people there are dying of, obviously. But to know that that's like, this is his job. His job is to go to COVID, the families of, of patients who are dying from COVID and, and, and just do their FaceTime with them. That's his job. That's someone's job now. And not just one person, but a couple people. And, you know, there's another whole group that's set up now to like give you information when you call in about your loved one because they're so inundated. The doctors and nurses just don't have the time for it. They can't, they try. They can't care for patients and be the purveyor of information at the same exactly. time. Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's it, having then, you know, to witness that part of it too, um, it's dumbfounding. It really is. It's, it's, it's like, a to like other realities are happening at the same time here. Um, I don't know, I can only speak for myself, but to know that I'm sheltering and then I have other friends who were and still are traveling throughout the country or um, their finances weren't affected because they already had their own individual um, businesses. So that way they weren't affected there and their businesses happened not to be affected whether or not if anybody else had money to spend to them. Um, and then friends to know that others who were you know, struggling as well um, as I was and have been and um, trying to find, especially here, and this is the other thing about being here in Miami, which is Miami is a large um, clubs, bars, restaurants, hotels. It's a tourist place for the most part. And people here, when they are out of jobs, like people were saying to me, why do I see, you know, Land Rovers and Porsches in the line for food? And I said, because some of these people have made money all their lives working in whatever hotel, restaurant, club, bar that they work in. They make good money. They have saved their money, I'm sure, and invested as much as they could possibly do. But there's some of them have families. And all of a sudden you're asking the person who makes anywhere from, and I'm just gonna guess here, and people who make anywhere from 57 to 150 a year suddenly don't have income. You know, and I witnessed these food lines of cars doubled up, going back for blocks for weeks, you know, and I think some things have helped. Some people have moved. I have friends here who don't no longer live here. They moved far, far away to some job that's unrelated um, to anything that involves being reliant, reliant upon people needing the good to, in order to finance their lifestyle and their livelihood. So it's been that part of it, you know, it, it's, it's a domino effect in so many different ways here and elsewhere, you know, all across America. So well, you, um, I wish that for no one to experience that with their, their loved one. I wish for no one to experience that for themselves because to mourn and to connect with someone over FaceTime when they're dying is not something I would want anyone to experience ever. It's not, it's not, um, it's not natural as they say, it's not natural. So it may be a new norm, but it's not one that we need to keep as a new norm. Well, I, I just want to say that your, your, you are being the tribute to your father that I know he appreciates at this time. Um, you're sharing you. with us some very deep 
tender uh, feelings and emotions and there's no question uh, that he is proud of you and that you have given us insights um, that many of us don't have access to. Um, and that really honors his tradition. It honors his presence, you know, and you are being that demonstration through your living. Um, so I'm offering, we're offering our condolences and, and- Thank you. Thank you so much. I do appreciate those words. Those are kind words. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Um, well, perhaps we can continue our conversation with um, some further insights at a at another time because I'm I'm seeing something to. shaping up, you know, on behalf of your dad and the hundreds of thousands of persons who have already made their transition, um, purely yeah. because of the existence of this this virus, yeah, which many people did not take seriously, and as you say, are still questioning. Um, this, this has been a, a valuable and a beautiful gift from you to all of us. And I just really want to thank you uh, from the bottom you. of my heart. For, me. Thank you so for, much. For stepping out and, and being very generous and gracious. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And I've enjoyed the conversation as well. I appreciate it. And we appreciate you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Emma. Thank you. See you soon. You've been listening to Just Folks Conversations with Emma on Anchor and Spotify. You can find more Just Folks Conversations with Emma on my YouTube channel of the same name. Please give a thumbs up and subscribe. And I invite you to join my Facebook group where you can meet more really great folks just like you. See you soon.